What's going on, everybody? And welcome to episode 10 of the Did You Hear podcast. I'm Emma Houghton. He's Pat Zhang. And we are joined today by a very special guest, Greg Welsh, a fellow Villanova University graduate. Greg, we're so happy you're here to talk some football. How are you doing? Great to be with you guys uh, today. Um, I, uh, I've always been, you know, on the other end of things, kind of listening to listening to you guys and listening to the pod. And now it's pretty cool to be, uh, be on here talking, talking with you. Well, we're glad to have you on. So this should, uh, this should be really fun and definitely an exciting time to come on as we get ready for some NFL playoffs as well as the college football championship game. Yeah, 100%. So now we have a, a Giants fan in Pat and an Eagles fan in Greg. We obviously had some, some drama on Sunday that we, we're not going to get into too much, but we think it's a good time to have these opposing NFC East rivals uh, in the chat here. But once again, as always, as you're listening – Make sure to hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify. And also be sure to hit us up on socials at Did You Hear Pod on Instagram and Twitter so that you can uh, be up to date with all of our latest insights on social media. So should we get right into it? We'll start with the we're gonna do a mega episode of every single playoff wildcard game this weekend. We'll preview them all. And then we'll give some general insights about some of the contenders that we think are in the AFC and the NFC for the playoffs and the Super Bowl. Yeah, it's a big, big weekend of football um, ahead. First, first time, uh, at least I think in my memory, that we have three playoff games on one day so, and for two, two straight days. So it should be a lot of fun. Absolutely. So which uh, do you want to start with the AFC or the NFC? Let's do NFC. I think we'll, we'll probably have some uh, different decisions on both, but NFC is relatively straightforward to me. So let's start there. Perfect. All right. So we can start then with the eh, – we'll go, we'll go with the first matchup then for, for the NFC. So that's the Seattle Seahawks hosting the Los Angeles Rams. So we'll go with the lower seed first in the LA Rams. How do you guys kind of grade them out for this postseason? Yeah, well, I, um, I, I actually really like the Rams. I think they're uh, under the radar team to, to definitely look out for. Um, they're, you know, they're, they're coming off. They have a bit of uh, an issue at quarterback. They're not sure if Jared Goff's going to be able to play this week, which obviously would make a huge difference. Um, they may have to end up going with John Walford again, um, who actually, who actually uh, played quite well in his NFL debut, surprising a lot of people um, in the in the Rams win in Week 17. Um, but 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 what I'm looking at really is LA's defense, and I mean that's the the top defense in the league in terms of yards allowed per game at 281. Um, they're number one in points allowed, um, giving up an average of 18 and a half per game. And they're tied for second in the NFL, um, having scored three defensive touchdowns this season. So um, couple this with the fact that Russell Wilson struggled a bit down the stretch. I think um, the Rams have a, have a good shot at winning this game, no matter who play, who's playing quarterback. So those defensive numbers are hard to dispute when you put them up like that and how much they limit offenses. But you said that you don't have 
much confidence in John Walford if Jared Goff can't play. I have zero confidence in Walford in his first, his second career start ever in the NFL, his first career playoff start. Since the divisions realigned in 2002, quarterbacks making their first playoff start ever in the wild card round are 9-30. and 30. So that's just a tough look for the Rams. It's also a team that weeks ago was right in there to win the NFC West. And they, they choked away their season as the, games, the, the weeks went on, the games went on just barely eking one out against the Cardinals to win themselves this berth. And, of course, they have to play division rival Seahawks. Yes, Wolford overexceeded expectations in his first start, but the Rams only scored nine points. And as much as the Seahawks offense has been struggling, which I think we'll get into even more, I think they have more of a chance to put up more than nine points than the Rams might, as good as that defense is. Yeah, I, I'm with you there that I, I think the defense is what's going to keep the Rams in this game. The one thing to look at with the Seahawks is that the offense hasn't been particularly explosive, especially the second half of the season. They had the 40-point game against the Jets at home, but it was against the Jets at home. Um, otherwise, not too many great offensive performances from them. Um, we all know about how good the Rams defense is, especially with Aaron Donald in the middle to wreck things. Uh, the, the problem, as, as you're saying, is offensively, I just don't trust this team, even if Jared Goff plays. I mean, with, with Goff this year, I mean, th- this is not the same offense that went to the Super Bowl a couple exactly. years ago. There is no Todd Gurley to come in and save the day. They, they have a, a decent stable of running backs that they run through there, but it, no one has the impact that Gurley had. And Goff this season, even when he was playing, I mean, he ranked 23rd in QBR. So it, it's just this... I have confidence that McVay can keep them in the game because I do think he's a brilliant head coach and I think that defense is strong. If Seattle is scoring points, there's the Rams are not going to be able to keep up with them. Yeah, I think people are way overdoing the point that if Goff comes back, then LA yeah. is this completely he just hasn't revamped been good team. This year. He's been inconsistent, I think, as the baseline. But I wanted to talk a little bit about the Seahawks too because – Beginning of the season, offense, their offense was the second coming, literally. Mm-hmm. Russell Wilson was an MVP candidate. DK Metcalf was a candidate for Offensive Player of the Year. He was at, you know, Tyreek Hill's level where he is now. Both of those guys have regressed. DK Metcalf especially, first eight games, he only had one game under 93 yards. The second eight games, the last eight games of the season, only one game over 93 yards. So he has definitely regressed, and Russell Wilson has thrown a lot more picks, a lot more incomplete passes than he was at the beginning of the season. But the, we- the weakness throughout the entire season has been the defense. And I actually think the defense has greatly improved since we, might- we mentioned it in the NFL push preview, Pat, weeks ago, when mm-hmm. Seahawks were struggling to limit teams. In their final few games of the season – They only let up three points against the Jets, 15 against Washington, nine against LA Rams, and 23 against the Niners. Those teams aren't explosive on offense, to say the least. Hmm. But still, I think that was a good boost of confidence for the defense going into the playoffs, where now they can also face a team in LA, like I said, that only put up nine points last week with their new quarterback. Obviously, you're going to have issues down the road if, the, if Seattle makes it out of this matchup and you have to face offenses like the Saints, the Packers, the Bucks, et cetera. 
But in this matchup, I see the Seahawks coming out relatively handily. Yeah, you know, I mean, you bring up a good point with the, the defense having played a little bit better of late. Not sure if that's due to their own play or the weakness of their opponents or maybe a combination of both. But the, the issue I have with the Seahawks, as you mentioned, um, their struggles on offense and um, Russell Wilson, you know, is, has really not been, not been himself of late. He, since week 10, um, only has one game with over 250 yards passing. And um, although the defense maybe has been improving, they still finished the year ranked second to last in the league in passing defense which uh, coming in at 31st. So what, I, what I'm looking at is I'm looking at uh, two teams that, that kind of their weaknesses and their, their strengths kind of align in that, um, in that you know, the, the, the danger of the Seahawks is their offense if they're playing at their, at their best and the strength of the Rams is their defense. And then when it comes to the Rams, they're, they're you know, they've struggled on offense, but they're, not going to be going up against an elite defense, um, especially when it comes to passing. So I think the fact that, um, that the strengths and weaknesses kind of counterbalance each other, I think the Rams gives the Rams a chance. Yeah, I, I, was an all, I was an all-in believer on the Seattle Seahawks first half of the season and absolutely believed that they, they could get to the Super Bowl from the NFC and the second half's hit. And it's just, it's been kind of weird with Seattle because as you saw, as you've talked about how how good that offense was and I think a really interesting stat that kind of sums up how the last couple of weeks have gone from them is that from the second half of the season Russell Wilson's only completed seven passes of 20 yards or more downfield in the first half of the season he had completed 15 of those so the the deep passing game has has really trailed off which is surprising because Metcalf and Lockett have been pretty healthy Throughout when you season. have two weapons like that and you're not utilizing them to the best of their ability, that's not a great look. That's exactly. Not a, a confident look for Seattle at all. No, and I know Chris Carson has been banged up, and I think he is an integral part to how the Seahawks do everything, just because how good he is out of the backfield receiving-wise and, of course, as a running back. Um, but it's, it's kind of strange to see the deep balls drop off like that as well. So I do think that that's trending in a kind of scary direction for them. Uh, but... I also, with that being said, going back to how I talked about the Rams, I think there's going to be too much on this Seattle offense for the Rams to be able to keep up with, even though I think the defense will limit Seattle's scoring. If Seattle gets to 20, 24, I don't think the Rams are going to be able to counter that. Yeah, I agree. And we also haven't talked about how good Seattle is at home. Without fans, of course, this year. But they have never lost a home playoff game under Pete Carroll. They're 6-0. They're supposed to have... They're projected starting offensive line in, so Wilson will have more protection. And I think Seattle turns things up in the playoffs because they're, they're hearing all this. They listen to the podcast, obviously, just like A.J. Preller, Pat, yep. the Padres. They're tuning Absolutely. in. So they're, they're hearing all this stuff that the people are saying, and I think their offense is going to come out swinging. This is the first Sunday game, is that right? Uh, first game on uh, – second game on Saturday, first NFC game. Oh, second game. game on Saturday, yeah. So it'll be, it'll be interesting. I think we probably agree that Seahawks come out, but they might have issues down the road. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. I think this is definitely the most intriguing game on the NFC side um, this week. I'm, I'm looking at a close game, and I'm just to mix it up a little, going to take the Rams. I like it. I like it. Just to mix it up. <laughs> I like <laughs> no, that. No, that. I actually think 
this is not as interesting as a game as some of the other ones, though. Really? And I'll give you my pick for the most interesting NFC game, and that's the Bucks and Washington. And I think that you guys will probably agree that Washington might get, out, get blown out of this game. And that might be true because the offense just isn't there. But Tom Brady has some problems, to put it lightly, when he's under pressure. And the Washington football team has one of the best front seven of any teams in the league. They have four first-round picks in that, start, that front seven. Tom Brady was 33rd in the league last year in terms of quarterbacks passer rating under pressure. Washington could create some problems for them. We saw it at the end of the Eagles-Washington game. Chase Young, the 21-year-old, wants Tom Brady, the 43-year-old. Tom Brady had a legendary season, as always, 43 touchdowns in his age 43 season. The Washington offense is not there, obviously, with how electric Tampa Bay has been when they're on. But they might be without Mike Evans. I don't think you can expect Antonio Brown to have the type of production he had on Sunday every week. And I'm just saying that Washington could get in their heads a little bit and create a possibility for an upset. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head for what Tampa's weakness is going to be and what Brady's weakness is going to be, and that is the if Washington's able to get pressure on them. Uh, the Tampa line has been better this year than it has been in previous years, and Tristan Wirfs has been a big part of that, the first-round pick that they brought in. I think that Tampa ends up rolling in this game over them just because I don't believe, again, going back to kind of what we talked about with the Rams, it, this is even more so. I don't think Washington has the offense to be able to keep up with it. Uh, Terry McLaurin and Antonio Gibson both banged up. They're, they're two biggest weapons. Uh, Alex Smith, we talked about uh, Dwayne Haskins last week and how Haskins ranked 35 out of 35 quarterbacks in QBR, while Alex Smith comes in at number 34. Uh, so not much better than him. Of course, Smith, incredible that he's even playing football right now. Um, but just as a standard of quarterback play, it hasn't exactly been a shining example. And then for, yeah. for Tampa, it looks like Mike Evans avoided serious injury. So he's his status is up in the air for the weekend. But I think there, from what I was reading, there's a decent chance he plays. And I just there's so many weapons on that Tampa Bay offense that I, I see them putting up a good amount of points. And Washington's just not going to be able to keep up. Yeah, that's kind of how I'm, I'm looking at this one. Um, Washington is obviously a tremendous story for, for several reasons. For I mean, sure. Smith playing um, definitely the, the front runner for comeback player of the year. Um, pretty much a shoe in for that, I would say. Um, after, you know, leading his team to the playoffs two years removed from a, a life-threatening injury, uh, given the complications of the 17 surgeries he went through. Um, so, and then, and then couple that with uh, head coach Ron Rivera battling cancer throughout the season, yes. um, actually undergoing cancer treatments during the season, continuing to coach. Um, so a lot of really, really great stories um, on that Washington team, obviously went through um, a, ter- a lot of turmoil in the preseason with their um, having to change their name and uh, some reports coming out about the organization that were less than flattering. Um, so, but, you know, they, they took advantage of a weak division. Um, find themselves in the playoffs, but I don't think it's going gonna to be a long stay for them um, facing Tom Brady, the all-time leader in playoffs, playoff wins by a long shot. He has 30, which is 14 more than second place uh, Joe Montana. So when you have someone like Brady and then you put, give him the weapons of Godwin, of Evans, 
of Antonio Brown, even of his old buddy Rob Gronkowski um, at tight end. And Ronald Jones has been playing pretty good uh, football of late as out of the backfield. So Bucks um, have improved their defense vastly over years past. That's why they're in the playoffs, and I, I expect them to uh, win this one pretty handily. Yeah, when Ronald Jones is playing his best football, that actually makes Tampa a much better team. He was on my fantasy team this year. He was very average all season, <laughs> of course, until I got eliminated and they started playing really well. But anyways, I think when you talk about the weapons Tampa has, that was what it was from the beginning, and it took a while for Brady and this team to really mesh together. And there are a lot of things that go into that, to that mainly – how crazy this 2020 season has been, no off season, all of the the COVID turmoil, all that. But there have been times when this Tampa offense hasn't clicked. And I still think in their first playoff berth since 2007, that there might be some humps they have to overcome. And of course you have the greatest quarterback of all time under Helm, which gives you some confidence, but you do have to give credit to Brady. He's mastered the long ball. Bruce Arians has not changed his offensive scheme for the quarterback. You can say that again. He has not let Brady and all of the, the words that Brady brings and the praise that he brings, he's not let that change the way he runs his team. And Brady has gotten better acclimating to that system as time has gone on. I'm just saying that all season long, I feel like I've said, if the Bucks can just get out to a hot start and score a lot of points – then Washington won't be able to come back. I feel that with the Eagles, with the Steelers, all those games. But while Washington has the third worst point differential in the first half in the NFL, they have the second best point differential in the league in the second half. So I could see them clawing back if they can limit Brady and this offense at all. I can see them clawing back in the second half. Obviously not having McLaurin and Gibson at full strength really hurts. And Alex Smith, Pat, that QBR that you mentioned isn't a shining statistic at all. But what this, what this Washington team has been able to do, no matter what happens, in a bad division, yes, you have to admit that. But what they've been able to do, Alex Smith deserves the Comeback Player of the Year award. And the fact that this team even made the playoffs is leaps and bounds ahead of what anyone expected coming into the season. Yeah, surely. And what I will say about Tampa is that they can be incredibly Jekyll and Hyde for their performances. I mean, they got blown out 38 to three by the Saints. They actually lost both games against the Saints and they've had some some very poor performances this year, but they're entering the postseason on a four game win streak, scoring over 26 points in every single game, uh, scoring over 40 in their last two. I think Tampa's on a roll. I think Tampa is going to be on a roll in this postseason and we'll definitely talk about that more in a, in a second. But I, I just don't think Washington is going to be able to keep up, and I, I think Tampa beats them pretty handily. One thing I do want to say, the last time a seven-win team made it to the playoffs, Ron Rivera's 2014 Panthers beat Bruce Arians' Arizona Cardinals. So you bet that both of those coaches see this rematch They're thinking that, who knows, Washington has nothing to lose. And I will say that Tampa has very, very good weeks, and then they play against NFC East teams like the Giants, and they look like a completely different team. So I think there is a possibility for an upset here. Giants should have won that game. 
Giants should they should have. Just See what I mean? Sure. And Brady's one and three against NFC East teams in the playoffs in his career. And you guys, as Eagles and Jets fan, uh, Eagles and Giants fans, sorry. Please don't that. call me a Jets fan. It's <laughs> <laughs> absolutely no no place for that here. But it's true. And I, maybe maybe that gets into his head a little bit. And who knows what will happen? Yeah. yeah. No. I mean, there is some interesting history with seven and nine. Uh, win teams winning actually their first playoff game that happened for the Seahawks too um when Marshawn Lynch's famous run uh that uh famously started the earthquake in Seattle <laughs> um that was a, a seven win team as well so you know there is some uh there is some history on Washington's side I just have a hard time picking a, a losing record team in the playoffs especially one with an offense like Washington's yeah, de- definitely. Well, we talk about Washington just sneaking in there at 7-9, and nine, winning the division. The Chicago Bears as well, the last seed in the NFC, got in at 8-8. Eight and eight. We're able to back into the playoffs thanks to Arizona losing as well, and they will face the New Orleans Saints. So how do we see that matchup playing out? What's the outlook for, for both of those teams? Yeah, I mean, you think about how horrible this, this Bears birth looks to Miami Dolphins fans. It hurts me as well. Season. 10 and 5 with Tua Tagovailoa, their quarterback of the future, undoubtedly. But Pat, that, that's tough. They just missed your playoff team, just missed it. And for an 8 and 8 team in the NFC to get in is tough there. <laughs> yeah, I, I never would have thought if you told me the Dolphins finished at 10 and 6 this season that they wouldn't make the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, I believe when we were doing our, our playoff push, I said they needed to get to 9. 10 should 100% get them in. But apparently the minimum in the AFC is going to be 11, which just shows how, how impressive really some of those AFC teams were, especially down the stretch to, uh, to win their games to be able to get in there. But I think Miami's building something, um, but absolutely tough for them to, to win 10 games and not make the postseason. Yeah. yeah, and it's crazy to think about that, especially in a year with that extra wildcard yep. spot. You would think 10 wins was enough even in a normal uh, year with six playoff teams. Having seven and still not making it with 10 wins is very, uh, very um, unexpected. But um, the Bears, you know, they uh, lucked out more. They took advantage of that extra playoff spot on the NFC side of things, um, grabbing that last seven spot uh, with an 8-8 eight and eight record. It's a team that wouldn't have made the playoffs without that extra spot. And um, they can thank their 5-1 and one start to the season for, for this playoff berth. Um, the team actually finished 3-7 and seven in their last 10 games. Uh, Mitchell Trubisky, you know, they, they went back and forth a little bit at quarterback. Trubisky um, has had some good games down the stretch kind of to get them into the playoffs, which is one thing to maybe be a little bit optimistic about. But um, they still haven't been winning a lot of games late of late. And I think it's a team that, you know, had a hot start with some easy opponents. Um, they're not going to be able to match up against uh, the Drew Brees and the Saints. They did beat the Bucks early on in the season when they looked really good. But I, the inconsistency – from the quarterback play, I, you just can't bet on it. I will say that since 2005, teams have gone into the playoffs with eight and eight records. Those teams combined to have a four and one record in the opening round. So maybe like the game of analytics there, maybe there's something there. And to the Bears' credit, when they played the Saints in week 18, oh, excuse me, week eight, they lost an OT, even though Nick Foles, who was quarterback at the time, got sacked five times and threw a horrible interception. So you think that if they stuck around with them that long, week eight, maybe if Trubisky plays better, maybe they have a chance. But that five-and-one start 
I think put them in people's minds in a, a way that just really wasn't receptive of what representative maybe of what their talents really were. They have a strong defense, but it's also not as strong as it's been in years past. And they also might be without wide receiver Darnell Mooney, has, who has been one of their great assets on offense. I just don't think you can bet on this team, especially the matchup they have in week one with a very dominant two seed. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough matchup for them. I do think the Bears can hang around in this game. I believe New Orleans will win. Uh, but I, I don't think the Bears are going to get blown away here. Trubisky, as Greg was kind of talking about, is playing some of the best football that we've seen from him over the these last, I think, five or six weeks or so. The problem is that all of the defenses have been in the bottom half of the league, so it hasn't gone up against top-tier competition, and the Saints definitely have a solid defense. But if Chicago kind of stick to the run game there, get David Montgomery involved a ton and run a lot of play action with Trubisky, use his legs for some rollouts, I, I think they stay competitive in this game uh new orleans they're they're good they they should be expected to win this game uh alvin kamara is the interesting one being that he's got a foot injury that he's coming off of there have been some covid concerns and the saints i mean make no mistake about it they run through alvin kamara that whole offense is run through alvin kamara drew Brees is I would love to be nice about it, but is way past his prime and way past his best at this point. The yards per attempt are way down. The yards are just down, period, at this point for him. Of course, if you are keeping everything short and quick, Breeze is your guy. He can get it out quickly. He's usually very accurate with those. Um, but I'll say I think they get through this game, but I have deep concerns about what the Saints are going to be able to do in the playoffs. Interesting. Yeah. I'm um, I'm a little high, higher on the Saints. I would say, um, you know, Breeze obviously is not not the Drew Breeze of old, but um, in the games that Drew, Ble- Drew Breeze has played this year, the uh, the Saints have only lost twice, and those were in weeks d- during weeks two and three, right at the beginning of the season. Otherwise, when Breeze has been the starter, the Saints have won. Um, and you mentioned how Kamara might be out for the the playoff opener, which definitely would be a concern. He's their most uh, well, they have Michael Thomas too, but Kamara is probably still their most electric offensive player. Um, he had that six touchdown game, which was absolutely unheard Incredible. of. Incredible. Yeah, that was that was uh, um, a godsend for a lot of fantasy owners. I know. <laughs> um, That's true. <laughs> but but you definitely um, definitely would hurt the Saints if Kamara's out. Um, I think they would be able to manage the Bears without him, and then getting him back. Um, I think it's a, a team that could really make some noise, especially because this is the best defense that Drew Brees has ever had behind him um, during his Saints tenure. Um, Teams made a ton of strides on the defensive side of the ball, Um, one of the top defenses in the league all year. So I think um, with that defensive play and, you know, the weapons of Michael Thomas and Camaro on offense, um, I like them in the NFC. Michael Thomas isn't nearly as good as he was last year, too. And he's still seen as one of the most electric receivers in the NFL, which is crazy to think about. But the bottom line is that, Greg, the stats you said about Breeze, the Saints winning when Breeze is there, even without him, they found ways to win. You saw that in years past, too, with Teddy Bridgewater, Bridgewater going undefeated in Drew Breeze's absence. Taysom Hill does really well in Drew Breeze's absence. The... Other running backs are just coming out of nowhere, literally, and playing well in Avin Kamara's absence. Latavius Murray has done a good job. Somebody played last week who I can't even remember his name, but he also had a really good game. Backup, backup running back. And with all that being said, as good, of, as, good, as, good as they've been in the regular season, 
the Saints find ways to lose in the postseason. Three straight years, we've seen this now. Last year, it was an overtime loss to the Vikings on the last play of the game. The Vikings found the end zone. There was the pass interference no call against the Rams in 2018. And it was the Minneapolis miracle in 2017. Something happens to the Saints in the playoffs, and that's why I don't think you can count anything out, even though they're the highest favored team because they're playing the, la- the last seed in the 8-8 eight and eight Bears. But for some reason, the Saints have problems in the postseason, and you just have to wonder if it's turned into a mental game for them, and that might be something Chicago can exploit. Yeah, I, I have the same opinion there on the Saints, and I I, it's, I love to br- bring up numbers to be able to back up my opinions for things. I think that's really important, but I just get a bad feeling about this Saints team with their history in the playoffs these last couple of years, and you phrased it perfectly here, that they find ways to lose in the playoffs, and they are one of the top teams in the NFC year after year after year, and they continue to knock it to the Super Bowl year after year after year, and I just, with Keeping the current crop, they, they really haven't had too much roster turnover. Um, the, as Greg said, the defense is playing kind of out of its mind this year and has been really, really strong. But I just I, – I think they're in danger of losing early, and I, I do not think that they'll be able to make it out of the NFC. Yeah, I, I mean, you, you, they have had a, a, a lot of unlucky uh, circumstances the last few years. You have to think at some point – Maybe their luck will or turn around or, or no, that's true. It could go the average. All the averages, they they have to get some breaks at some point. Um, I think it's a really complete team. Um, they're not as strong at the quarterback position as they've been in past with Breeze regressing for sure. But I think it's a very complete football team, and I think there's something to be said for a team that is as solid as they are at every position uh, coming the playoffs. No, that's a good point. And as as Breeze has regressed and as he's gotten older, Champagne has continued to find ways to to make other team other players in the team better. So they are extremely yeah. well coached. Yeah, Peyton's a great coach. That has a lot to do with it. But that all being said, I do not think the Saints stand a chance against the number one team, the Packers in the NFC. I love Green Bay this year. I Me too. they they are a complete team. They are. I don't. It, I think it's kind of strange, actually, because you hear a lot of these coaches. Hear a lot about coaches. How much do you hear about Matt Lafleur? Not, not much. And think about the job that he's done over the last two years. Really, Green Bay was stagnant, and he has turned them around and, and gotten that offense firing on all cylinders. Aaron Rodgers is going to win MVP this year. Um, that that offense is so strong. Devonta Adams is probably one one A or one B with DeAndre Hopkins for receivers in the league. Aaron Jones is one of the better backs in the league. The defense is able to force pressure on the quarterback and they're able to create some turnovers, which is why Green Bay can be really dangerous because we know how important turnovers are in today's NFL. Uh, I think the Packers are the prohibitive favorite in the NFC. And uh, as has to be mentioned as well, uh, the NFC playoffs run through Lambeau. And that is a huge, huge boost for Green Bay. Yeah. Yeah, the Packers. Advantage. Obviously, uh, just to say quickly, Greg, before you go, we were talking about Matt LaFleur when there were all those issues between him and Rodgers. But when Rodgers is firing in all cylinders, all of a sudden we're not hearing anything about LaFleur. <laughs> it's crazy how that works, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Greg, go ahead. No, yeah, they, they have seemed to uh, latch on to that uh, storyline. Uh, but um, the, the, the obvious, there obviously is an improved relationship between LaFleur and, and Rodgers. That's been talked about a little bit. It, on uh, some of the broadcasts this year, but um, 
obviously a career year for Rodgers, 48 touchdowns to only five interceptions, <laughs> actually remarkable ratio. Um, for, for over 400,000, over 40, sorry, 4,000 passing yards and over 70%. 400,000, goodness. Yeah, he might. He a, he mean, might. If that doesn't win you MVP, <laughs> I don't know what does, but over 70% completion percentage. Um, tremendous year for Rodgers with Devontae Adams um, as, your, as your number one receiver. That doesn't hurt. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm very high on the Packers also. Um, their defense is not as complete as some of the other teams uh, in the NFC. And they have their starting left tackle, uh, the uh, uh, pro bowler, missing um, due to an injury sustained during practice um, towards the end of the season, an ACL. So, um, you know, the left tackle is such an important position, um, protecting the blind side of a right-handed quarterback like Rodgers. Um, and uh, as an Eagles fan, I can attest to what a, a lack of continuity on the offensive line uh, can do to a team. <laughs> no, that's a good point. That, that actually is a huge loss for them. but. In this league, I think the trend now, as much as, you know, high school coaches, all these coaches might not want to hear it, offenses are winning games. If the, pa- if the Packers go out, you saw it on the Sunday, Sunday or Monday night game against Tennessee just a few weeks ago. If the Packers go out and put 40 points on the board, not a lot of teams, maybe besides Buffalo and Kansas City, can keep up with that. And that's what Rodgers is doing. Pat and I said Patrick Mahomes was one of our numbers – of the week a couple of weeks ago, and we said that he's going to be the MVP favorite every single year, and it's going to take a transcendent year for someone to win the award. And that's exactly what Aaron Rodgers did. We got it this He year. went out and had a transcendent year. 48 touchdown passes, like Greg said, personal and franchise best. And this is without any weapons besides Devontae Adams you have Aaron Jones in the backfield but the other wide receivers people don't know and we said when the Packers drafted Jordan Love I do not think this can be understated at all Aaron Rodgers was going to go on a scorch earth run and that's exactly what he did he proved that he's not retiring any soon he's not past the prime of his career I'm listing them off on my fingers because it could go on and on they went out and didn't get him another talent uh, offensive skills player and it doesn't matter because he was able to do all of this anyway so I think I think the Packers come out of the NFC as boring of a picket as it is I think their offense is stronger than just about any other team in the league and while their defense might be weaker than say the Saints if they put enough points up on the board I don't really think it'll matter yeah, is, isn't it interesting how most of our talk for especially for the NFC is centered around offenses yes. how things have changed so much but that's really the the league today as it's blended the NFL and college have kind of come closer and closer together and it has become more and more of an offensive league. And as you say that, I don't think there's anyone I'd want to bet against more than green Bay or bet against less than green Bay, excuse me, um, with, with that offense, with Rogers leading them. I've like, and just to, to talk about some other skill position players as well, Valdez Scant- Scantling is, you know, has been pretty good for them this year. Robert Tunyon has been huge at tight end for, yeah he's been fantastic for them I just think they are going to be so powerful on offense and do enough on defense that for me as Emma said it's boring but they are my NFC pick to get to the Super Bowl as well so Greg if, if I don't even know if this can happen based on the bracket but Packers Saints and the NFC championship who would you take well I'm taking the Saints um I, I I really like their their defensive improvements that they've made and I you know I still think it is, you know, the league and league is becoming more and more about offense. 
But I think in the playoffs, defense um, is more takes a its importance takes a step up from the regular season. Um, you know, there's teams are a little more cautious in the playoffs. There's less possessions, um, and I think I think having a really stout de- defensive team um, that can you know uh, keep the other team's offense off the field um, is a real advantage. That's why I I mean I love the Packers too. Um, you know, but if a defense is able to take away Devontae Adams, um, there's not, I mean, Donna Scantley had a nice year, um, had some big drops too. <laughs> um, yes. Rodgers actually would have a few more, few more, would have surpassed 50 touchdown passes if Donna Scantley had a little better hands. But uh, no, he, he is a, a deep threat and has made a lot of good plays as well. Um, but inconsistent uh, receiver play for sure uh, outside of Devontae Adams. I think it would be a really great game. I'm, I'm hoping for that game in the NFC Championship. Um, and I think this could be the Saints year. The question I, that I am struggling with truly is what team has been able to shut Devontae Adams down this year? Not many. <laughs> I'm not sure there is one. Maybe the Saints have a chance out of, out of all these defenses. But that's a, that's a tough ask for these cornerbacks to be going after. Somebody who I – thought was top three maybe at the beginning of the season in terms of best receivers in the league. And I think he's catapulted himself into that top spot. Yeah, he's definitely had um, a career year and especially has played well um, down late in the season. Not, uh, wasn't quite as electrifying at the beginning, but it's really, really uh, turned things on um, in the latter half of the year. So uh, extremely dangerous offense um, in Green Bay and it, it should be uh, fun to watch them. Yeah, no, d- definitely. So one New Orleans, two Green Bay picks for the NFC. We can move into the AFC then, which things should be pretty interesting on that side as well. Some some very solid games, especially for the first weekend. Uh, we went chronologically with, with the games in the NFC. Let's go backwards uh, for the AFC. So we can start with the Steelers-Browns game because I know how close to the Cleveland Browns to Emma's heart they are. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so an interesting match up there um I I guess I'll I can start on on the Browns Uh, I'm the negative one with the Browns I I I totally get that I first off what has to be said is that it's very unfortunate what they're going through with with COVID you know of course congratulations to them and the franchise for making the playoffs for the first time since 2002 this is a very big deal for Cleveland, but Kevin Stefanski is going to be out their head coach on Sunday. I don't think you can really quantify how important that's going to be. Uh, they've got a couple key guys still on the COVID list. And and for Cleveland, I know they're at 11 and five. I know they just made the playoffs. I don't believe in this team. I just, I don't, I think they're smoke and mirrors. They are the only playoff team to have a negative point differential. Uh, even Washington has a positive point differential. I, I just don't believe in the Browns. And with the injuries and with COVID, I, 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 if I could speak, that would be nice. Um, I think that Pittsburgh uh, ends up winning this game. But Pat, you said your New Year's resolution was going to be to be I know, more positive. I know it was to be nicer. You did say that. I, I did. I'll take it for you. Please okay, do. I'll, I'll tell you why I actually think the Browns are going to come out with an upset win against the Steelers. So the importance of Kevin Stefanski to this team, I actually think is quantifiable because in 17 playoffless seasons, the Browns have had 10 different head coaches, but Kevin Stefanski is able to go into Cleveland. He's now a coach of the year candidate, probably the front runner at this point. And 
turned Baker Mayfield into the talent that everyone expected him to be when he came out of Oklahoma four years ago, three years ago, however many years ago it was. They snapped a 17-year playoff drought. At this point, it doesn't even matter to me how well Cleveland does in the playoffs just because of what this entry into the playoffs means for the future. They haven't even won a playoff game since 1994, guys. Like what this franchise has been through, that 0-16 record a few years back, Baker Mayfield just not meeting expectations like everyone thought he was going to. And all of a sudden this year, things started to click. Not having Kevin Stefanski on the field is a huge blow, but I will continue to stick with the Browns for the sake of sticking with them. We have seen Baker Mayfield at points be a top five quarterback in this league this year. Since week six, he has 15 touchdowns and two interceptions. That's the third best touchdown interception ratio in the league. When he's able to put everything together and he doesn't force interceptions, he doesn't force bad throws, he doesn't get panicked in the pocket, he allows his very talented offensive line to create time for him, he looks like a top five quarterback. And there have been glimpses, there have been flashes of this team when everybody's healthy, when they're not dealing with injuries and COVID and all that. You could literally just list off all the things that have gone wrong for the Browns this year. But if they put everything together, for 60 minutes against the Steelers, I think interesting things could happen. One thing that isn't going in their favor, they have a 17-game losing streak at Pittsburgh, at Heinz Field. 12 of those losses were by double digits. So that is a tough pill, a tough stat to get over, obviously. But I just think what the Browns were able to do to even get into the playoffs, they were 81-91 and one in those years where they didn't make the playoffs. Like I said, 10 different head coaches, 28 different starting quarterbacks. Baker Mayfield and Kevin Stefanski symbolize the future for Cleveland, and it looks really, really bright to me. Yeah, um, I mean, this is obviously not uh, the same Browns team that has been the, the brunt of many jokes for, uh, for much of the last uh, decade or even longer. Um, it's a team that, you know, has really... Um, excelled this year and obviously with their first playoff uh, berth in 17 years um that is that that is obvious to to everyone but um i have a lot of concerns with the browns kind of like pat um the covid issues are are a real problem i think being without your head coach um for a playoff game is is uh cannot be understated and you also couple that with the fact that it's baker mayfield's first playoff game emma you mentioned the uh the low success rate of that is true. quarterbacks making their playoff debut. That is true. He's going to have to do so without his head coach, um, making things even more difficult. You also had, uh, I just saw this morning, an incident where two Browns players were cited for drag racing overnight. So, I <laughs> oh, mean, God. things are not going great um, in Cleveland. If you have to deal with that on top of COVID, uh, you don't know really what players are going to be available uh, for them uh, for their game. Um, I, I think they have they've had a tremendous season and have a have a couple bright years ahead to look to look forward to, um, but I don't expect them uh, to beat the Steelers. Although, you know, they, it is a decent matchup for them. Um, they could have drawn worse than a, a Steelers team that's been stumbling of late. Yeah. I'm just making things interesting. I think they could oh, yeah. go out there and a bunch of bad streaks, and they have a lot of Steelers weaknesses to exploit. 
Yeah, well, that that's what's interesting is because, listen, if they were going up against in the AFC, Buffalo, Tennessee, or Baltimore, I would say on here, I think they're going to get destroyed. But the the fact that they're playing Pittsburgh, and yes, they have that very uh, unflattering streak uh, against the Steelers. I, I The Steelers team is, is not the team that we saw through the first part of the season. They got to 11-0. They finished at 12-4. and That offense is not very good. Uh, which is so strange because there's so much talent on it, but they're 22nd in offensive efficiency. They're 30th in rushing efficiency. James Conner had a very poor season. Uh, They're weird. The the defense is fantastic, uh, and it, it, it more than keeps them in games. It wins them games, and that's definitely possible here in the postseason. Uh, So with that, I think the Browns will be in this game. Uh, but with Pittsburgh's kind of volatile nature, I, they it could be a toss-up. Volatile is a good word for it. And actually, when you think about it, Pittsburgh's defense isn't even as strong as it was at the beginning of the season when they when they lost guys like Bud Dupree. I think Bud Dupree's injury has that unquantifiable effect on this defense, and it's making a difference. That being said, I believe that's – Pittsburgh has a top five receiving core in the league. That being said, Pat, like you said, they're 22nd in offensive efficiency. Was that what it was? Yep. And the dropped passes have been an issue all season long. That's a huge storyline. Big Ben getting pressured is a huge storyline because he's just not able to get the ball out in time. The running game is a non-entity. It is frustrating to no end to watch the Steelers in the red zone within the five yard line, not run the ball two yards into the end zone on third and one, they have to pass it empty from the pocket with a slant and defenses pick up on it so easily. And they're, they're forced to kick a field goal or turn it over on downs. It seems like that has become this trend for the Steelers. And it's so frustrating because their offense seems so good on paper. The slight, Reemergence of the deep pass is encouraging for Pittsburgh. When you have threats like Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool running down the field, you just have to give Ben Roethlisberger the time to give them the ball because this young receiving core will be good for years. Their defense will be good for years. You just have to make things click more on offense, and it's frustrating to see how this many talented players still creates this many doubts in the playoffs. It's crazy to me. Yeah, no one would have uh, would have thought we'd have a hard time picking the Steelers in round one when they started the year eleven and zero, the last right. last undefeated team uh, left in the league before their before their loss to Washington. But they've really struggled of late. Um, you know, they they finished the year only winning one of their last uh, five games, um, and uh, they're. I think we're definitely right to to be a little weary of picking them. I still think they're going to win this game. Um, they've got the experience at head coach. In Mike Tomlin and the experience at quarterback in Ben Roethlisberger, and you you contrast that with what Cleveland has on the other side of the field without their head coach and a quarterback playing his first playoff game. I think that's enough um, to get Pittsburgh over the top in this one, but I don't like them to go much further. Yeah, Tomlin's a huge threat to have him there too. Yeah, he he's a massive part of of why I think Pittsburgh wins this game. He's such a solid coach, and he. Uh, Honestly, he deserves more praise than he gets because I think people forget about how good of a coach he's been and how long he's been in Pittsburgh. 
Yeah, his yeah. record – he has one of the best active coaching records in the league, and people do not talk about him enough at all. No, no, and he yeah, he, he absolutely deserves his props. Uh, but we yeah. can move into another strong AFC North coach, and that would be John Harbaugh with the Baltimore Ravens playing the Tennessee Titans in what I think will be the most entertaining game of this first weekend. Two very strong offenses. Uh, I, I am a believer in the Tennessee Titans. That defense is – Hot garbage, if we're being completely honest. But, man, that <laughs> offense is fun to watch. Uh, Ryan Tannehill has it, – it's not even fair to him to say come into his own at this point. He's turned into one of the better quarterbacks in the league is, is how you have to say it with how he's been these past two seasons in Tennessee. Derrick Henry is – there aren't too many more words to describe Derrick Henry than what he does there on the, on the ground game in Tennessee. A.J. Brown's one of the better receivers in the league. I, I think Tennessee is going to be able to light up the scoreboard a little bit. That's why I believe in them. But, of course, Baltimore is explosive with Lamar Jackson on the other side as well. Yeah, this is going to be probably one of the more entertaining games to watch. You, you, you're probably expecting a relatively high-scoring game um, in this one, although Baltimore has a pretty good uh, defense. Tennessee's offense is potent, as you, you mentioned, Pat. Um, Tannehill, you know, who would have thought um, we'd be talking about him throwing 40 touchdown passes when it came to Tennessee as the presumptive backup to, uh, to Marcus Mariota. But um, he's not only taking the starting job, but run with it um, in Tennessee. And it helps when you have a guy like Derrick Henry, you can hand the ball off to um, just becoming just the eighth uh, player to reach 2000 rushing yards this season. Um, an absolutely astounding season, a season from Henry. Um, but um, I think this is going to be a really great game. Um, I think I'm slightly leaning towards the Ravens just because how weak Tennessee is on defense. Um, they're by far the weakest defensive team to make the playoffs. They're giving up an average of almost 400 yards a game um, in the bottom five of the entire league and at the very bottom of the, uh, the playoff teams um, in the NFL. Um, and then you have Baltimore, who um, many people were concerned about early in the season. Uh, after, after a bit of a slow start for them, Lamar Jackson did not look like um, his MVP uh, self from the year before. Um, but he's improved things of late. Um, the team comes in on a five-game winning streak, and they have a, an emerging young running back in J.K. Dobbins, who has actually scored a touchdown in six consecutive games. Um, they've scored over 30 points four times uh, during, their last, and during that five-game winning streak that I mentioned. The offense has come alive. They have a, uh, a, top, a top five defense in the NFL, um, and I think that's just enough uh, to get them past uh, a Titans team. But I really like this, this matchup. It's probably the best one of the weekend for me. I think all those things you just said, Greg, are more than enough to put them past, in my opinion, and you guys are not going to like this, the weakest team in the AFC. I have the most questions and concerns with the Titans than any other team in the AFC, and it's because – of how abysmal their defense is. They, with that being said, they have beat the Ravens twice in a span of 12 months. One of those was in the playoffs last year where they had that stunning defeat over Baltimore. And then earlier this season, Tennessee also won against Baltimore. They have all these offensive weapons, but for some reason, I just continue to doubt them. And it's because they allow touchdowns in the red zone almost more than any other team in the league. They also are ranked the worst in defensive efficiency in the last 15 years in the playoffs. They allowed at least 30 points per game in seven games this season. 
40 points in the last two of the ga- two games of the season. One of those was to Houston, who didn't even make the playoffs, wasn't even close to making the playoffs. They can't put pressure on a quarterback. They don't have a good rush defense. I think Baltimore picks apart this defense piece by piece, and it's everything you, you guys both said about how good the Ravens are. My one question for Lamar Jackson is, can he get over the playoff hump? Because we've talked about these quarterbacks entering the playoffs, playing in the first playoff game. Jackson has played in two playoff games. He has a 51 completion percentage, three touchdowns, and three interceptions. If he can get – the threat on, from his legs is undoubted. If he can bring that arm back to being a threat, I don't think Tennessee stands a chance. Yeah, Baltimore definitely has a lot to prove in the playoffs, especially after last year's uh, disaster in their, their first game um, going out uh, to Tennessee. So, you know, who, who – um, I think it's going to be a really close game. I think it's going to be a, a lot of fun to watch. Um, I like the Ravens slightly in it, but um, should be interesting. Yeah, and, I, and as I said, I've, I've got the Titans in that. But moving to another quarterback that has struggled uh, in the postseason, that would be Phillip Rivers, now the, the quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts, uh, leading that Colts team into the postseason with 11 wins, getting in as that last seed. And they are taking on the Buffalo Bills uh, this weekend. For, for Indianapolis, I love the job that Chris Ballard has done as general manager and really reshaping that roster. I mean, just to think about when he took over, he took over for Ryan Grigson, who – possibly had did the worst job of any general manager this decade in the NFL with how poorly he mismanaged that roster around hey, Andrew. Howie Roseman some props. All right. <laughs> Dave Gettleman up there too. Um, with, with how poorly he mismanaged that roster around luck and Ballard has come in and really formed a roster that I really like with Indianapolis. But the problem is that I don't trust the quarterback play. I don't trust Phillip Rivers. I think Jonathan Taylor has is developing into one of the better backs in the league. I think Indianapolis is going to try and control some clock here in this game and give their defense a chance. But none of that is going to matter, in my opinion, because the Buffalo Bills are circling the wagons. And that offense is, again, going with offenses, is so explosive and so dangerous. Josh Allen is I, – I believed in Josh Allen coming into this season. You did, Pat. You, I, yeah, I did. I will, I will harp on that. I really liked Josh Allen. I never would have dreamed he would put together the season that he put together this year. I really like Singletary at running back. I mean, the, it, the funny thing is, so the Bills have Stephon Diggs as their top receiver. The other weapons around him, they're not incredible. I mean, you look at John Brown, Cole Beasley. Like, how how great are they going to be? They fit so perfectly into that Buffalo offense. I love Buffalo. I think Buffalo rolls in this game. Um, and I think Buffalo is going to make some noise in this postseason. Yeah, yeah 100%, I agree. 100%. I agree 100%. I, th- I think the Bills... Um, are definitely a team, one of the top teams to watch in this postseason. Um, you're, you're talking about what a difference uh, Stefan Diggs has made for that team. Um, that I think that was the piece, uh, the main piece they're missing. Um, as you mentioned, that not, not a, a lot of talent at wide receiver, adding Diggs um, into that mix to give you a true number one receiver. And I mean, I don't think even they could have anticipated how well uh, he played, especially uh, down the stretch of the season. So, um, Buffalo's offense is is very potent and um, and they have a, a a matchup with the Colts that I I think they should uh, be able to handle fairly easily. Um, I'm I'm cheering for the Bills personally um, with the Eagles out of the playoffs. I you know in part because their head coach Sean McDermott grew up 
uh, right down the road from me, um, went to high school about 15 minutes away from here. Um, and, you know, who doesn't love rooting for a, a small market team that is still looking for their first Super Bowl? So a lot of fans in Buffalo are very excited and uh, for good reason. Yeah, I mean, they're looking for their first playoff win since 1995. That was before any of us were born, before Josh Allen was, was – he was just a kid. I don't even – was he born then? He's only a couple years older than us. I'm not even sure. But yeah, one, I don't think he would have been, no. Yeah, or maybe that year. But I think the Colts are an underrated team. I think if they had any other matchup, there might have been a chance. They do have a top 10 scoring offense. But, yeah, against a team like Buffalo, they don't stand a chance. Jonathan Taylor is the future, though. He has averaged 123.5 yards per game since week 11. That trails only Derrick Henry, who had one of the most historic rushing seasons in NFL history. We cannot say enough about Buffalo. We have gushed about them all season long. The only thing standing in their way is the $500 million man. $500 million man, sorry, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. And I'm being boring again, but I don't think as good as Buffalo is, I still think Kansas City comes out of the AFC because they're just too strong on offense. Yeah, I I, I hate to, to say it with, with Green Bay and Kansas City, but I just I do think that they are just the best teams in, in both conferences. I mean, if Buffalo was in the NFC, I would pick Buffalo to come out of, out, of, out of there, but the fact that they're going to have to potentially go to Arrowhead to play Kansas City, to play Andy Reid, to play Patrick Mahomes, I will not bet against Patrick Mahomes and that team. The, that offense, again, there's <laughs> a theme here, is just way too loaded. And you know what? The defense isn't bad this year. That's what's interesting is that they, the Chiefs have won games these past couple of years with poor defense. This is not a poor defense this year, and, and that's kind of scary to think about. They ran through the NFL this year. They sat out Week 17 to be able to get, give their guys an extra week of rest going into the postseason. Uh, they had the blip against the Raiders, but otherwise they are just so deadly. I'm, I'm not sure anyone is going to be able to stop Kansas City. And not only do I think they win the AFC, I think they repeat here and win the Super Bowl as well. Yeah, they're my pick as well, Pat. I mean, how can you not like the defending champion and the team with the best record in the NFL this year at 15-1? and one? Um, It's pretty tough not to put them at the top of the rankings. Um, you you talk about an offense that just has um, you know the best the best quarterback in the league right now, and you couple that with Tyreek Hill and uh, Travis Kelsey as your two top two uh, uh, receiving weapons. Um, they have you know some questions at running back. We're not sure uh, what Clyde edwards helaire the rookies, his status is for the postseason. But they brought in Le'Veon Bell for some reinforcement, and it's not a team that's going to run the ball much anyway. Um, Andy Reid has never run the ball much. Um, and he's a, he's a pass first type of coach. It's a pass first offense and they do it quite well. So, um, it's definitely I, working. For I them. like them as well for the Super Bowl champions. I'm taking the chiefs over the saints. Yeah. I'm taking chiefs over the Packers to be very boring, but I didn't even realize Pat truly how much offense is driving this entire postseason. Every single team, I think it's maybe the besides the saints, that. honestly, offense it, is driving this postseason it's just it's how the league is is set up today with with penalties and and how just how everything everything is so geared towards the offense which could be a whole debate over if that's how things should be 
Um, but every advantage goes towards the offense and NFL teams are no dummies and they have caught on to that and they have continued to stockpile weapons and, and build these explosive offenses with game plans that kind of, as we talked about, have now more mimicked college game plans with offense, with spacing and route oh. running and things like that. And that is- I, Sorry, finish finish your thought. No, no, I was saying, and I, I think that that's kind of, for, for years and years, it has been, do you have the defense to be able to withstand everything in the postseason? And while it's still, of course, of course is going to, to play into it, you need to have a defense that's going to be able to make stops. But more importantly, you need a defense that can force turnovers. Um, the league is just, the power dynamic in the league centers around offenses now. Yeah. And it's about how many points they're going to put up on the board, 100%. And that is the literal perfect segment because there have never been any questions about how important offense is in college football. So with the college football playoff going on, all three of us have chosen our numbers of the week from the college football world. Greg, we're going to do you the honor of presenting your statistic first. So go ahead. Wow, thank you. Treat the guest well. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, my number uh, I'm going with is 11, and that's the number of teams that have played in the college football playoff since it was established in 2014. It's, we've had seven years of the college football playoff. Um, if you think about it, that leaves the possibility of 28 spots to be filled. So if there was complete parity, there would have been 28 teams. Uh, we have 11. So. Wow. Not, and not only that, you only, when you look at the championship game, there's only six schools that have uh, appeared in that um, wow. in, the last, in the last seven years. So not a lot of disparity going on in college football. Um, and nothing, that doesn't change this year as we have two of the, two of the perennials, uh, Alabama and Ohio State, squaring off for the championship. No, it, isn't that crazy? It, it wow. is. And the thing is we could do, it, it honestly warrants its own podcast entirely about that. College football has mm-hmm. a parody problem. It, it does. And the question is, how do you close the gap on Alabama, Clemson, shortly, and then Ohio state, I would lump in there as well. And the answer is I have absolutely no idea. I, I don't know how you close the gap between those schools and everybody else. And when you only have four teams in the playoff, Two of them are basically guaranteed to be taken up by Bama and Clemson every year. And I'm, what are you, if you're not putting Ohio State at 99%, what do you put them at? 95, 90, like at the lowest that they're going to get there. So that leaves you one spot, which will go to either the Big 12 or the Pac 10, or excuse me, or the Pac 12. So it's a, it's a tough thing to tackle. It really is. I, I wonder how long this is sustainable for before people stop watching, mm. before people stop watching. The regular season, because if we know these four spots are going to be taken up by this team, then what's the purpose of the regular season? That's what it's come to. And it's so unbelievable to me that there hasn't been a solution so far because Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State are just heads and shoulders above everybody else. It's unbelievable. Yeah, their alumni definitely aren't complaining, I'll tell you no. that. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, definitely. Uh, expand the playoff. That's as simple as yes, I'll put it. that's uh, the solution. But, we, but unfortunately, it's not a, a short-term one. No, no, d- definitely not. Emma, what's your number? All right, so with all that being said, I'm going to go to Alabama and how dominant they are. <laughs> <laughs> My So, Pat, a couple weeks ago, you did a stat with – it was a number of days. It was mm-hmm. Kevin Durant. I am going to take a leaf out of your book, and I – I'm going to do the same thing. My craziest number I saw this week was 79. And that is the number of days. On, if on Monday, the 11th, Jalen Waddle plays in the national championship game, 
it will have been 79 days since we last saw him. Preseason All-American, top receiver at Alabama until, of course, Devontae Smith goes out and has a Heisman-winning season. He fractured his right ankle on an opening kickoff against Tennessee in late October, October 24th. Despite that injury, which sounds very serious and painful, people are talking about him returning to that championship game, which might be on January 11th. Of course, there might, it might get postponed now, uh, suspended with COVID issues. Prior to his injury, he had 25 pass receptions in five games, four touchdowns. He elevates this Alabama offense, which is already the best in the league, to another level. Him, paired with Devontae Smith, paired with Najee Harris, with Mac Jones throwing out all these passes, and I truly think that Alabama is unstoppable. If Jalen Waddell is able to play, it just makes Alabama the best it makes them the best wide receiving core than maybe even Pittsburgh, what I said. Like, Waddle and Smith together are unbelievable. And I hope we see that just for the sake of seeing all of these incredibly talented players on the field. Yeah, it's remarkable that Waddle's even in the conversation to be able to come back after that serious of an injury and, and this quick of a timeline for him. And the problem is if he does come back, it, they're, they're going to be able to exploit Ohio State on the back end with that pass defense because the pass defense is not great for the Buckeyes this season. Sean Wade was supposed to be a first-round pick going into the season. He has really struggled this year at corner as their top guy. Uh, so if, if they have to account for both Waddle and Smith, uh, I definitely have some concerns for how Ohio State will be able yeah. to uh, hold up. Yeah, Ohio State's just quickly, Pat, they're not in the national top 30 in scoring defense, not in the top 40 in total defense, and not even in the top 55 in pass efficiency defense. And this is going up against uh, offense as potent as Alabama's. Yeah, there's not going to be a shortage of points in this game. Uh, that's for sure. No, no. And I, I feel like we should just title this episode Offense, 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 because that's where I'm going to go with that. Uh, that's, that's a great point. Yeah. <laughs> with, with my number as well. And mine is an average, and that would be 45.8. And that is the points per game averaged between Alabama and Ohio State. Alabama, the number two scoring offense in the country. Ohio State, the number five. Your number one scoring offense in the country is Kent State, by the way. Just a fun fact to throw out there. Yeah, so take take, take that, Alabama. (laughs) But yeah, this game is shaping up to be explosive. It's shaping up to be fun. I mean, think about how many first-round picks you're going to see there out there on offense for for both teams. You've got three, maybe four, for Alabama, you've got, I would say, at least, or not at least, probably two for Ohio State and Chris Olave and Justin Fields. Um, th- this is going to be really entertaining to watch. You hope that Fields is just at full strength uh, to, to be able to go out there because it would honestly be a disservice if, if he's not able to, which he might not be because I have a feeling he has broken ribs, even though it hasn't been reported. Yeah, uh, didn't look good. No, I, I have a feeling he's got a couple broken ribs there. But this game, I, I think this is the kind of national championship game that you want. It's, it's two blue bloods, as, as we talk about. You know, We would love to see some more parity in the college football playoff. But I think you're getting two really great teams. I think Ohio State has been talked down to a lot this year through no fault of their own basically through the Big Ten, just completely blowing, setting up the season, uh, as well as then Ohio State getting hit with some COVID uh, concerns as well. 
but th- this Buckeye team is strong. Uh, I, Alabama should absolutely be the favorite going into this game, but I think Ohio State sticks around and do not be surprised if Ohio State has a chance to win this game late. Oh, 100%. People continue to count them out, and it worked very well for them against Clemson. Dabo Sweeney goes out and rakes them the 11th team in the country, and Ohio State has a dominant win. They have nothing to lose. They want to write this storyline that they have created this season out of nothing, and they've just used the team bond and their desire to win to go out there and really win it. And I think they have a chance because of the fire that's underneath them right now, truly, and how good Fields has been, obviously. Yeah, it'll be it'll be fun to watch on Monday night or or whenever it is played. But all right, that that will do it for us. A huge thank you to Greg Welsh for coming on the podcast. Thank you guys for having me. I enjoyed it. A lot of fun uh, talking with you guys. Of course. Yeah, it was fun, Greg. Thanks. Yeah, no, it was awesome to be able to have a fellow Villanovan on. Uh, be sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. It really helps us out, and you'll never miss an episode. Follow it on Spotify. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Did You Hear Pod to let us know what you think. Uh, that'll be a wrap for this episode. We'll be back at it next week um, with. Uh, Well, we'll see what we go with. We don't know yet. (laughs) But all right, Emma, that's a wrap.